0: necessarily need to be built on programs but on practices because practices are what form us Uh, it's like showing up to the gym but not wanting to actually break a sweat and somehow we hope imagine that somehow we'll grow just by showing up and what i would like to do is create a laboratory that in the supportive network of friendship we could experiment with faith and so we designated that we would just have both church as worship and church as tribe because we wanted to create a laboratory environment that we could experiment with faith and community and mission. On the first weekend of each month, we do that. And so next weekend is a church as tribe weekend. We have four tribes that are meeting and gathering and doing all sorts of things. Uh, And so I just kind of direct you to the website uh, if you want to find out more information and contact leaders for kind of meeting times and places. And and again, I would say this, not everyone we meet is ready to take a next step into worship, so we like to make faith and community as accessible as possible, and sometimes that means being the church outside of these walls or even our living room. So that's kind of what we're doing. And then the following month, we're doing another church as tribe weekend, Uh, But we're gathering all of our tribes together and heading out to the Frio River uh, for a community camping weekend. Uh, We've got 10 cabins uh, set aside, and uh, they're all like in a little cul-de-sac, right, at the bottom end of a property along the Frio River. Um. I would encourage you just to sign up. Uh, it, it'll be a really fun weekend, low programming weekend, and maybe the best part is there's no cell service. So you can actually disconnect and be fully present with people uh, uh, at, at the same time. So a lot of good stuff to look forward to. Uh, in our community spotlight moment, uh, I just wanted to highlight, we love having Miss Denise here tonight. I know that you've, you're still battling some pancreatitis. Uh, I don't know if you're supposed to say that publicly, but I just did. Uh, But you have been in our prayers. Uh, I love that you, uh, it's a terrible weight loss program, but uh, you look great. I'm glad you're here, and uh, we keep praying for you. Is is that kind of where we're at? Any more tests this week? Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay, Tuesday we'll keep, all right. And then the other thing I just wanted to mention is, um, some of you know the Bosworth family. They're not here tonight, but uh, um, Woody... Uh, Scott's dad who was here uh, at Christmas with us uh, he, he passed away um, this week and so they are kind of working through what that's like and so uh, kind of m- we m- just want to if you know them and want to text them and encourage them uh, but they're, they're in kind of um, memorial service planning mode but th- th- those are things that what it helps to be in community because we just don't limp through those things alone we, we limp through those things together and so it's, it's like we have spiritual workout buddies uh, that stand beside us through it all. Well, what we want to do now is um, send the kids off so that they can learn Jesus in every single book of the Bible and come back memorized uh, like the video. So in the back of the room, we want to have all of them line up with Miss Kristen and oh, Miss Mimi. Oh, Mimi, did you get enlisted this week? Hey, you guys, seriously, wait, don't leave. Don't be jerks, okay? I will go all Papa Bear on you and wail on you if you're, um, if, if you're bad listeners. Uh, but at this point, we want to dismiss our kids with this blessing for them to continue on in their time of worship. The Lord bless you as you continue on in your worship. Nailed it. Okay, don't be the bad kid. Well, covenant is a hard thing to wrap our heads around um, other than we know marriage. Uh, and marriage is the thing that we understand um, for better or for worse the nature of covenant relationship when it comes to God but what we see is that God extends these sort of commitments to his people and we make these promises back and this is kind of how marriage gets fulfilled uh, and it forms this partnership and what I would contend is that Um, this world is created with so much potential but the greatest potential doesn't rely on our human effort our human ingenuity our wisdom our wit our creativity the greatest potential rests on God's covenant love now we also understand what comes in in the beauty uh, of a marriage is that you get companionship and then you get support Uh, you get kind of this intimacy and all these things we also understand uh, from broken covenant, that we feel betrayed, and that we feel grief, and we feel uh, a, a sense of alienation and isolation, we know what it feels, which also tips our hand and allows us to see maybe what God sees when we break covenant too. That being said, there is a picture that I want to start out with, and I have a video for you about the the beauty of marriage through the eyes of people who have been married for years and years. Just hit play. I was sitting with my friend Arthur Kornblum
1: in a restaurant. It was a horn and darted cafeteria. And this beautiful girl walked in, and I turned to Arthur, and I said, Arthur, you see that girl? I'm going to marry her. And two weeks later, we were married. And it's over 50 years later, and we are still married. We fell in love in high school. Yeah, we were were high school sweethearts. But then after our junior year, his parents moved away. But I never forgot her. You never forgot me. (laughs) No, her her face was burned on my brain. And it was 34 years later that I was walking down Broadway, and I saw her come out of Taffanetti's. And we both looked at each other, and it was just as though not a single day had gone by. She was just as beautiful as she was at 16. He was just the same. He looked exactly the same. We were married 40 years ago. We were married three years, We got a divorce. Then I married Marjorie. But first you lived with Barbara. Right, Barbara. But I didn't marry Barbara, I married Marjorie. Then you got a divorce. Right, then I married Katie. Another divorce. Then, a couple of years later, at Eddie Calicchio's funeral, I ran into her. I was with some girl I don't even remember. Roberta. Right, Roberta. But I couldn't take my eyes off you. I remember I snuck over to her and I said, what did I say? You said, what are you doing after? Right. So I ditched Roberta, we go for coffee, a month later we're married. 35 years today after our first marriage. We were both born in the same 1921. hospital. 1921. Seven days apart. In the same hospital. We both grew up we one block away from each other. On the Lower East Side. On Delancey Street. My family moved to the Bronx he when I was lived on 10. Fordham Road. Hers moved when she was I 11. lived on 183rd Street. For six years, she worked on the 15th I worked floor for a, very prominent as a nurse where Dr. I had Dr. a practice Bemelman. on the 14th floor the very same we building. never met. Never met. Can you imagine that? Do you know where we met? In an elevator. I was visiting family. In the Ambassador Hotel in Chicago, Illinois. He was Illinois. on the third floor. I was on the 12th. I wrote up nine extra floors just to keep talking to her. Nine extra floors. <laughs> well, he was a head counselor at the boys' camp, and I was a head counselor at the girls' camp. And they had a social one night, and he walked across the room. I thought he was coming to talk to my friend Maxine because people were always crossing rooms to talk to Maxine, but he was coming to talk to me. And he said... I'm Ben Small of the Coney Island Smalls. At that moment I knew. I knew the way you know about a good melon. <laughs> a man came to me and said, I found nice girl for you. She lives in the next village and she is ready for marriage. We were not supposed to meet until the wedding. But I wanted to make sure. So I sneak into her village, hid behind a tree, watch her washing the clothes. I think if I don't like the way she looks, I don't marry her. But she looked really nice to me. So I said, OK to the man, we get married. We married for 55 years.
0: The beauty, the need, the necessity of covenant love is when we exchange both commitments and promises to form this partnership. And the problem is, is at least when it comes to God, we're not so good at partnerships um, which is why we're stuck in a world that's full of division and and full of greed and and full of violence and and so we, we find ourselves in this place needing something more but we live with the potential and that's what I want to kind of share about tonight I think what covenant relationship does is it keeps us from being the center of our own life and needing or assuming that I have to get my way. I like to get my way, but it's not actually a good thing. And so I have a phrase that I want to help, I want to revisit a few times tonight. And the phrase simply says this Success is not just simply getting my way, and failures not, isn't getting what you didn't want. Success isn't just getting what you want failure isn't getting what you didn't want that sounds a little confusing but hopefully I can unpack it a little bit more as we go I think the really important truth of this is that if we want to be in a committed relationship with God and each other not necessarily in marriage but as a church we need to understand that there's something helpful about being in community and being submitted surrendered to God that helps us not be the center of our life And God's saying, come into relationship with me. And so coming to Christ is not a process of consumption. It's a process of dying, which isn't really the most sexiest marketing ad that you can come up with. But I think marriage works the same way. And so let me just review where we've been. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started with Noah, and N- Noah has this moment, and um, God is brokenhearted at what's become of his creation, and so God decides he's going to flood the earth, and, but he ends up making this promise uh, to never expend universal judgment again. Uh, it breaks his heart and what he does is he, he forms and it's symbolized in the covenant of the bow what we know of the rainbow but it was the primary weapon of warfare of strength and so he lays down the bow as a symbol that says it will never be your uni- universal ju- judgment again but I want to welcome you invite you into this personal walk with me So that there will be a day of accountability, a day of reckoning, but that will only come based on your personal interaction. Then he makes, uh, but God makes this covenant knowing full well that wickedness will only grow, and it does. So he finally makes, uh, a couple chapters later in Genesis, he he makes a, a covenant with Abraham. He's like, all right, I've got to come up with a plan. And the plan was for family. And he chooses this family from aging Abraham who's essentially barren and infertile with his aging wife but at 100 years old he's given a son and the son will be uh, as numerous uh, or his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and God says I want this family to be set apart and holy well It starts multiplying. It starts working. Years go by, and so much so that they become a threat to to Pharaoh in, in Egypt. And so God delivers the people out, and he makes another covenant, what we know as the Mosaic Covenant with all of Israel. Because not only is he looking for a family to be set apart, he's looking for a nation to set apart. That would be salvation to the rest of the world. So God was basically trying to save us from each other, and he starts separating us. And, and then he wanted to raise up someone, a people group, to be light to the rest of the world. Well, God wanted to raise up David. Uh, and, and David had, was, went through this selection process. Uh, he wasn't their first choice. And this is where I go back to the success isn't just getting what you want and failure isn't simply getting what you didn't want. This is what happens when we see David's choosing because the people are looking around and things aren't working. At that time, there was no king, right? We have no king over Israel. They're led by prophets and by judges, and they were sort of the intermediate, intermediary between God and the people. God was gonna lead them differently. So they had this kind of direct access to God, but they start looking around at all of the other nations and are like, we want what they want, which is always what happens when we don't have our view on God and we start looking at what everyone else has. And so God makes this statement and he says, fine, if that's what you want. But let me just read for you in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. Israel asks for a king. So all the, Israel, uh, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. And they said to him, you're old and your sons don't follow your ways. And now appoint us uh, a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. And when they said this, give us a king to lead us, it displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord said, Fine, give it to them. It's not you they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king, as they had, <clears throat> as they had done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. They are uh, so. They are doing. Now listen to them, but warn them and let them know what the king who will reign over them. Uh, <clears throat> will claim as his own rights in other words here's what salvation will look like this is how we want God to lead us but this isn't covenant relationship this is us projecting onto God how we want God to be God God lead me this way And so this is kind of what I call consumptive Christianity. This is like I'm consuming the goodness of God. I'm consuming um, my preferences and saying this is the kind of God that I want. But the minute it requires sacrifice or discipline or discomfort or inconvenience is is the, the moment that I sort of push back and say, God, that's enough. The people of God were saying, we want a king. And he's like, wait, 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 I'm your king. It's like, no, but we want a king like everyone else that we can see and touch and like have coffee with. And they're like, ah, fine. You asked for it. And so they chose this king. And and the king was Saul. Um, I'm going to say this again success isn't getting just what you want, and failure isn't getting. What you didn't want, and here's what they got, in this chosen, and I use that term loosely, the chosen king, because it was chosen by them, but it wasn't chosen by God. And so the, the, the passage unfolds and says, when Samuel had all of Israel come forward uh, by tribes, clan by clan, they looked for him, uh, and he was not to be found, him being Saul, Saul. And so they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself among all the supplies. They ran and brought him out and he stood among the people. Uh, he was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? And this one was like, no, uh, this one, uh, like no among him, all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. Okay. There's a king that's been set aside. This is their pick, and he's hiding in the luggage. He's not exactly just chomping at the bit to lead in terms of having this special anointing. The special, this is who they want. But but get this, he's really tall and handsome. He's a foot taller than anyone we've ever seen. He looks good on paper, and God's like, hmm, okay, okay, this is the guy you want. Um, this is your pick. This is not. My pick. And so, what I think is interesting is when anointing both of these picks, you have Saul who's hiding in the luggage, not sure that he wants to take on this responsibility. But when Samuel goes to find um, David later on, he's not to be found, but it's not because he's hiding. In fact, he's like the eighth son. He goes through seven sons who are all really handsome and strapping, and he literally says, Don't look at outer appearance, look at the inside. Well, when they finally say, Do you have? any more sons he's out with the sheep he's sort of the artist musician and he's got an audience of sheep but he's used to fending and, and and taking on wild animals this this is the life this is his this is his schooling This is how he's been trained. This is how God's been preparing him. He has no qualms with standing up. He has no qualms with standing and taking on enemies. He just knows this comes with the territory, and this is who God has been preparing. Well, he was the eighth son of Jesse, but this was God's pick. And sometimes uh, success isn't getting just what you want, but failure isn't getting what you didn't want. Um, David becomes this successful leader of all Israel and God's given him um, sort of blessing and he's given him all this uh, opportunity Israel's enemy uh, over Israel's enemies and restoring presence of God and when there's finally this national rest he's like hey God we've been carrying your presence around forever Um, we've been just hauling you around in this thing called the ark I want to build you this magnificent dwelling place called the temple and God's like thanks but no thanks I'm not going to give you what you want at this point but what I am going to give you is an eternal kingdom on whose throne I will reign but it will be through your descendants and what we have eventually is King Jesus comes in the line of David who's still raining and so it's this beautiful picture of oops oh dang that stinks uh too many things in my hand sorry about that uh let's see is it gonna start oh rats that kind of was a momentum killer oh wait hold on go down where was it oh yeah that's awesome have we been there b is that oh no that's the end oh, okay okay yes there we go boy that wasn't a little non-sequitur so anyway we get to this fulfillment uh and and god says you know I, I, you don't get to build me and do anything i'm going to set that apart for solomon your son um, but i'm going to set apart this whole other kingdom and this is what the lord says i took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people israel I've been with you wherever you have gone. I've cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. I will also give them rest from all the enemies. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God simply asks david to obey his commands and do what is right and just and god promises that he'll just establish his kingdom forever see i think many christians end up confessing christ but living in babylon because this is eventually what happened they were given this promised land but they got became captive they they started living in exile and i think i won't say most much of our christian existence ends up living in this broken covenant um, and and living in what i would consider some kind of babylon or some kind of exile god has invited us into this great partnership this trusting partnership this this and sometimes we can't see god's care god's provision that's why when i talk about practices i think it's so important for us to come and gather and even if worship feels like a discipline It's so important to express gratitude because it interrupts the negative narrative that dominates the rest of our lives. If I don't have a chance to come and talk about the goodness of God, listen to the goodness of God, offer a a praise to the goodness of God, what ends up happening is that my, my internal speak becomes really critical, really negative. And God gives us this way to kind of walk out of exile of negativity, of criticism, of doubt, of fear, of insecurity and says, will you come and walk with me in this covenant relationship? I said earlier that maybe the best kind of tangible way that we understand the nature of of, uh, God's covenant love is through the covenant of marriage. And for some of you, that's a very vivid picture of something beautiful. For others, it's heart-wrenching and heartbreaking. You're like, if that's the covenant that I can have with God, it feels underwhelming. My parents have been married for 58 years in in, um, uh, this August. And, um, you know, there's some things that they uh, chose uh, in their life. They made some decisions that they... They, uh, I mean, they started out dirt poor. They started out, you know, they they wanted perfect kids. They didn't get them. Uh, They wanted all of these things, but they just decided to choose faith. They chose Christ. They chose community. They chose a lifestyle that said, we're going to practice hospitality even when it's not reciprocated. We're going to practice generosity Um, even when we don't necessarily agree or understand because there's something that we want to do to follow Christ saying it's all of yours and we want to be good stewards of it and there's this life that they created but what they didn't want was they didn't want open heart surgery They didn't want to also have to bury parents. They also didn't want to have to live um, really poor at the beginning of their marriage, but they had to start somewhere. They didn't want to have to live with back surgery and both of them wearing hearing aids. Do you you see what I'm saying? Um, There is this covenant that they have walked in for 58 years for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. And that's how it is with God's covenant love. When we say yes to his commitments and we make promises back, it does not mean we get our way and it does not mean he paves the way. I've been reading these articles. You've often heard about um, helicopter parents, of which I'm so glad we don't have any here. By the way, this is just a side note. I have relatives in Norway where we were having this helicopter parent conversation. Um, they have the same concept, but here's what they call it, curling. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. A winter sports company, you know, the, the, the curling where you're just like going along the ice so it can get, okay, this was perfect. I was like, oh, so it's like unilateral, like transcends culture, hovering parents. I get it. There's a new phrase that's been being talked about. Have you heard about lawnmower parents? The lawnmower parent is the one who mows the the path ahead of their kid so their kid doesn't actually ever have to learn to find their voice. The kid doesn't have to have any kind of adversity or ever kind of stumble. This is someone who goes before them and does all the work. And so I've been reading all these articles about like, this dad showing up and he's all like in his business suit and he's showing up and this is for like a 16 year old or 15 year old daughter and the school counselor is receiving like she gets called out and it was a teacher that gets called out of her room because she forgot her swell water bottle. Okay, and, and so this is the lady right now. Uh, my daughter couldn't drink out of the water fountains. I'm so sorry. So could you just pass this on to her? Yeah, because that's where are we are going. What I'm saying is God is not a lawnmower parent, nor a helicopter parent, but he did say, I am with you. And the only way that this this love will be forged is through struggle, through commitment, through sacrifice. If we want to have this purity of our hearts and we grow into relationship with God, it comes not through ease, but their struggle. And so I think a lot of what we've made out of modern day Christianity is somewhere that looks very convenient. We want to we create optimal uh, services at optimal times. And we want to have right um, temperature climate because we have to have all the, the things right for, for, to reach more people. But that doesn't necessarily transform a life. Can I tell you something that I've learned over the years? I've worked at large, very established churches for over 20 years. And something I've noticed on both sides of the interview table is that when churches start to go look for a new pastor, rarely do they wanna hire a visionary leader. Now, I've been on the interviewing side and I've been on the applicant side. Um, And what I notice is most churches, especially churches who have a 10 plus year history, want to hire a caretaker. They're basically looking for someone to make them a bigger version of who they already are. They want to bring in someone and says, can you just find more people who like what we like? what I'm saying is when we come into covenant relationship with God he invites us to come and die to ourself he invites us to want to go through a transformational process and if you've ever been married and when you say I do you're saying yes to a transformational process because you move from saying oh this is my weekend to this is our weekend and then if you have kids you're like holy cow I don't get my weekends anymore I, don't get, I have your weekends that I facilitate. <laughs> but what we're saying is we're moving and shifting the pronoun from me to we, maybe even me to you, so that we begin to say, not my life, but yours. David doesn't always get what David wants. The people of God don't always get what the people of God always want. And maybe that's the best part about it. David was highly esteemed. David was super flawed. David was favored by God. But David had a wandering eye and as prone to violence. He was terribly flawed. And yet God said, I can work with him. Walk in faith and obedience. And this ability to just lay down his, our life is what makes for covenant relationships so it is when we come into relationship with God and that's why I wanted to kind of create an architecture for church that's built around how do we practice a living faith not just simply a Sunday go to church faith but something that forms in us and oh by the way that feels like some effort but at least at least we're not alone in it Dallas Willard uh, had a way of describing what it meant to walk in covenant relationship and tapping into what I would consider the power of God. And Dallas Willard would say, tapping into the power is like God's the electricity and we are simply the bulbs. And what we're trying to do is figure out a way for that current to run more fully so our lives can shine more brightly. Generosity understanding that God's the source, hospitality, recognizing that we not only need to make room but we need to learn how to receive, figuring out who God's prepared in advance. We live and practice compassion so that our bulbs, our lives can shine brightly, recognizing that our needs are simply no different than other people. This is how God tends to work through us but transform our hearts and our lives. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are endlessly trying to figure out what it means to be in community. We are trying to figure out what it means to be in relationship with you. And so I pray for the wisdom of your Holy Spirit that we might know and understand um, your covenant love for us. So will you just speak to us in these places? Will you just um, uh, help us to surrender what we think we need what we would define as success, and thank you that you haven't given us everything we've ever asked for. But thank you that you surprise us with things we didn't even know to ask for. So I pray for spiritual eyes that you would help us to see your provision, your grace, your mercy, your strength. I pray that you would give us a vision for justice and mercy. I pray that you would just give us the courage and the strength to walk with a living faith in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.